Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. did you end up here? Not just talking about how you physically got here this morning, but how did you end up getting connected to this church that is PCTR? This was a question that was out this week on our Facebook page. Now, admittedly, I'm not really active on Facebook, so I had to hear about it from somebody else. And there were lots of answers to that question, but it did get me thinking about how I ended up here. And my answer was simple. God sent me. See, I was serving as a pastor in the Pittsburgh area, and after a while, my wife Abby and I started to feel this stirring in our hearts and our souls that God was on the move and getting us ready for something and somewhere new. And naturally, as my family, most of living in the Denver area and Abby's family living mostly in the Seattle area, we started to think and pray about it and started asking God, where west will we be going? God's sense of humor. We went very, very far west to end up here on the Jersey Shore. (laughs) And my previous exposure before God sent me, my previous exposure to New Jersey was flying in and out of Newark and driving along the turnpike. Not exactly the best representation of the Garden State. And so it's so obvious to me that as things unfolded, God was leading, no, God was sending me here, and I'm so grateful that he has. God is ascending God. And not just for pastors, but anyone who is a follower of Jesus, you too are sent. That's what we're going to get into today in the next message. This is a unique message, actually, because it's the last message in a sermon series and the first message in a sermon series all at the same time. For the last weeks, we've been talking about the reason that our church, PCTR, exists. This mandate God has given us that the elders articulated, actually you can see it on the screen, but the reason we exist is to be connecting people to full life in Jesus Christ. Everything we do, everything we're about, we want it to be to that end, to that goal. And if you're wondering what full life in Jesus Christ looks like, We talked about that at length last fall in a series called Full Life, and you can find that on our YouTube channel, PCTRNJ, if you want to explore that more fully. But for this morning, full life in Jesus Christ is this. It is beautiful and abundant and flourishing life. It's life as God intends it to be. It's a life of meaning, a life of deep relationship and connection, a life of joy, a life of hope, a life of peace, a life of love, a life of sacrifice, of giving, of wonder, of awe, of worship. It's life as God intends it to be. It is thriving. This is full life in Jesus Christ. And in this series we've been in in the last few weeks that we're calling Finding Full Life, we've been talking about just that. How do we find that full life? We've been talking about three particular practices that help us assume a posture where we can be more open and ready to receive this gift of full life 
that God wants to give us with a conviction that as we more consistently put the, live out these practices, we will not only individually connect more to full life in Jesus Christ and corporately, but that we will also connect others who do not know God's love for them to full life in Jesus Christ as well. And so the first week, the first practice we talked about was gather to worship, reminding ourselves of our need for one another, the importance of being together to inspire one another to more full participation in the worship of our God who is worthy. Last week, we talked about growing in groups, the need to share life together and how much we can learn from one another and learn with one another as we become more and more like Jesus. And today, we're going to talk about the last practice, and that is go and serve. You can see these are our three practices, part of the strategy of living out our calling to connect people to full life in Jesus Christ. And that dashed line is supposed to be about our connection, doing this, living this in connection with God and with one another. And so it's the last ser sermon in our series, Finding Full Life, but it's the first in our series that we're calling Go and Serve Together. Where over the next weeks, we're going to hear the invitation to the whole church, to all generations, from youngest to oldest, to go and serve. And it's not just a sermon series, it's an intentional initiative in this season, and this is why we're doing our go and serve groups and hope that you will consider, if you haven't already, to be a part of one if you are able, or to start one, and to pray for all of this together. But let's jump into the scripture this morning. We're going to jump into John chapter 20 as we hear God speaking into our lives together. And this is starting in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let us pray. Heavenly Father, will you add your blessing to the reading and proclamation and hearing of your word? May we become more fully the people that you've made us to be as we seek to go and serve together. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're told by John that this is the evening of the first day of the week. It's the evening of Easter. And Jesus has risen from the dead, but here the disciples are hiding behind this locked door when Jesus appears to them. The door didn't open, he just showed up. And Jesus knows that his time is really actually short to be returning to earth because he knows he is going to ascend to heaven to the right hand of the Father, where he will patiently wait, very patiently, as we now know, thousands of years patiently for everyone who is going to come to faith in him to turn and believe and for his name, the gospel, to be preached to all the nations, all the families of the earth. And so he knows there's not much time and he needs to prepare his disciples for what comes next. 
And he's been preparing them all the time that they've been together, but now he gets really very clear and very specific and tells them his purpose because there needs to be a plan. Now, what's the plan? Because there needs to be a plan because there's only 10 guys here actually in this room at this moment. Thomas, for some reason, wasn't there. He'll be there the next time Jesus shows up. But there's only these 10 And then the few women that saw Jesus who had risen from the dead, everybody else in the world has no idea the miracle that has occurred. And so there are still people dying in their sin, struggling in their brokenness, wayward, far from God, hurting one another. And so there's a whole lot of work to be done. So what's the plan? Because, I mean, Jesus is going to ascend to the Father. Like, really, Jesus? Is that a good plan? Like, like... Wouldn't he be better at doing all of this? Like, wouldn't he be the best at convincing people of the good news and the miracle? And wouldn't he be the best at bringing healing to the broken places? What was Jesus' strategy? To heal the broken places, to bring redemption to the world, justice for the poor and the marginalized, to give hope for the hopeless. What's the plan? Well, he doesn't offer any programs. He doesn't suggest getting any buildings or property. He doesn't offer an organizational structure or a strategic plan with three, five, and ten-year goals. He doesn't even give them a book. The New Testament doesn't even exist at this point. And the first letter that will be included in the Scripture isn't going to be written for at least 15, maybe 20 years from this moment. So, the church exists living into its calling for at least 20 years, and then it's, the rest of the Scripture is going to be written over the course of the next 30 years. They're doing their calling, living it out without the New Testament as we know it for years and years and years. So what was the plan? What's Jesus' strategy? Well, there it was in verse 21. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. They are the plan. The church is his plan. The message comes through the people that are the church. The work comes through the people that are the church, not through the book, pages of a book or of a program. Full life in Jesus Christ is th- spread through the people that are the church. And from this small group, it spread to others who spread it to others to within now a few hundred years from this moment, the Roman Empire will be captured from within by the Christian faith because they were sent just as the Father had sent Jesus. See, God the Father sent God the Son. God is ascending God. This is actually the mission of God. The word mission is a Latin word that at its root actually means sent or sending. And so God the Father sends God the Son to unite himself with human flesh. It's not a message. It's not a program. It's a person. Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, sent into the world. See, God had given them blueprints in the past. He had given them a book and a plan. This is what the whole Old Testament is. That's what the scriptures were. Here's what life is supposed to like, be like, living under the kingdom and the rule of God. This is how God intends it. But what we see is year over year over year, the people couldn't live it out. The plans were good. It was the execution that was the problem. 
And they had fits and starts and revivals, but never could they sustain life as God intended it. So they didn't need more plans, more rules, or more messages. They needed someone who could come and fix the mess. And so God sent his son. You may have heard recently that Rite Aid has filed for bankruptcy. They have $3.3 billion of debt that has piled up and lawsuits that are still accruing. And in January, the previous CEO of Rite Aid suddenly left. Shocker. And so the board at the time hired their interim CEO, Elizabeth Burr, and charged her with taking the company forward, which now includes overseeing the plans for bankruptcy. Well, that plan includes closing four or 500 stores across the country, including one here in Tom's River. And I was thinking about this week, thinking about all of these employees whose lives are going to be disrupted and turned over, whose livelihoods are at stake, whose relationships they may have had with one another for years and years working together, or just their relationship and faithfulness to a country or to a company suddenly be torn apart. I just was thinking about the stress and the devastation and the fear. Now, what if this new CEO who was sent into the company from the outside, decided not just to oversee the plans for a bankruptcy and a restructuring, but instead decided out of her own pocket to pay off the debt of the company from her own funds, to restore the operations, to prop up those struggling stores to ensure security for those employees so they could retain their jobs to alleviate the, peer, the fear and the pain and the suffering, wouldn't that be amazing? And what an incredible act of self-sacrifice that would be. That's not her plan, by the way. I don't know that she has $3.3 billion lying around. I don't know that many of us do, so. But she was sent into the situation to fix the mess. And all she has are the imperfect tools of bankruptcy. So she'll be able to save some jobs, and, but not all jobs. She'll be able to give hope and security to some, but not to everyone. But Jesus was sent into humanity, the Son of God, sent into the human experience because we are bankrupt. The whole of humanity is broken individually, collectively, division, strife, waywardness, hopelessness, heartache, pain, and we can't fix it on our own. And so God sent not just a plan, but his son, the new CEO, who comes with the perfect tools of his perfect life, offered sacrificially to pay off our debt, to restore hope and operations, life as God intends it to be, to bring healing to everyone. See, God sent his son into the mess, but man, it cost his son dearly makes $3.3 billion seem like nothing when the perfect, eternal Son of God lays down His life. So as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Wait, like that? Into the mess? At an incredible cost to ourselves? I can understand why Jesus offers them peace twice in this passage. The first time because they're terrified for their lives that they might be hunted down 
as followers of Jesus this second time because they're terrified and overwhelmed by the mission that they've been given, by the sending that Jesus just has given them because they are the plan to go into all the messes and places of darkness and brokenness. Man, they needed peace. And Jesus had offered to show them, here's my hands, here's my side. It was like he's saying, hey, this is how much I love you. It's really me, remember? I love you that much. I know I'm sending you someplace scary, perhaps place you don't want to be, but I love you this much, and my peace I give you. And he breathed his Holy Spirit on them so that it wasn't just an abstract idea of peace, but the very presence, his presence of peace within them. A gift of peace that was not earned. But man, I imagine they wanted to stay behind those locked doors. Because to be sent meant going out into a world that was hostile to them. To be sent meant going out among those who are hurting and who will turn around and may hurt them. But to be sent means to go to those whom the Father loves. And there's lots of reasons why we struggle with this sending as well. And we may want to stay behind locked doors. In in the middle of the 1950s in America, do you know 95% of Americans identified as Christian? 95% said they were part of a church. And and in that environment, where did you need to be sent? Right? Where did you really need to go? Churches in that period started to kind of shift and become institutions of security of comfort, of care for one another, which is totally good and appropriate, and institutions of teaching, but not of sending. See, we sent some, but they were the weird ones, right? Those were the missionaries that we sent out like overseas to other countries. But Jesus was sending missionaries into their neighborhood, into their community, among the people that they knew. And we're being sent into our neighborhoods, into our schools, into our workplaces, into our neighborhoods, even into our own families. As the Father has sent Jesus, so he is sending you. Do you know that Christian means little Christ? It's actually literally what it means. So the followers of Jesus are to be little Jesus, little Christ, little clones of Jesus. Sent like Jesus was sent with the same purpose, the same character, the same values, the same power as Jesus himself. We're sent with the same purpose to bring healing and hope and redemption, to proclaim a hope and a ransom uh, from the captives of this world, to bring justice and mercy for those who are struggling and suffering under oppression. So we have the same purpose, but we're to, to also be sent with the, in the same manner as Jesus, with the same character. That's kind of what we talked about a little bit last week as we grow in groups. We grow into the likeness of Jesus. And what an amazing display of character that Jesus has when he, the eternal creator of the universe, comes out of the comfort of heaven and enters into his creation, taking on all of the limitations of the human body and the human condition, experiencing all of the worst and the temptation that you and I experience every day to only then voluntarily give up his life. What humility. What an amazing display of character. And what an amazing thing to see Jesus go and not back down from the truth even when it meant 
his own execution, but instead to stand on the truth, but to do it in a way that is gentle and kind and loving. And we are sent in that same manner, not to be proud or self-righteous or arrogant, not to be too good to associate with those who are considered the lowliest and the least and the outcast of the society, but we are to serve just as the Son of Man, Jesus the Christ, came to serve and not to be served. And we are sent with the same power, the same Holy Spirit that was within and through and is Jesus, his spirit within us. And so Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Which I think is why he then had the audacity to say, if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. He's not just saying like, here, I'm I'm just giving it over to you. You decide who's forgiven and who's not. It's up to you, figure it out. And he's not just saying, you know what, just if you want, you can give it away like Oprah. Forgiveness for you, forgiveness for you, forgiveness for you. What he's saying is his Holy Spirit is in us, the church, so that we can see and discern where is a response of faith. Where has someone responded to the good news of Jesus Christ? And we can say, yes, as you put your trust in him, you are forgiven just as we are forgiven. And to warn those who would reject Jesus that it is not forgiven. See, it wasn't about their authority in and of themselves. It was the authority of God living in them. The Holy Spirit is the key. Theologian N.T. Wright makes the distinction between what's achieved and what's implemented. He compares it to like a composer and an orchestra. The, The composer puts together this beautiful piece of music. They have achieved something wonderful and something beautiful. The orchestra simply implements what has already been created and achieved each doing their part, but implementing what was already done. In the same way, the church has not achieved forgiveness. We have not achieved, and we don't get just the authority in and of ourselves to decide forgiveness. No, that's Jesus has achieved forgiveness, his life, his death, his resurrection. It is for us to then implement that plan of salvation to bring the hope and the message to those who are struggling to those who are dying in the midst of their sin to offer a hope of forgiveness because we are sent just as Jesus was sent. Michael Frost is a pastor and an author, and I've learned a lot from him over the years. And many years ago now, I remember hearing a talk that he had given at a conference. And I will never forget the story that he told, and I had to go back and look for it to get the details, but the, the big picture was evident. But he told about this time where he visited a church that he had never been to 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 worship with them. And as he's approaching the church, he realized, it's a beautiful, traditional old church with you know, high roof and beautiful stained glass. And when he walked through the doors, though, it, it was a little bit strange because all of the furnishings had been removed. There, was no, there were no pews, no chairs. Even on the chancel or the, the stage, all of the normal things had been taken away and all across the whole floor of the sanctuary was black plastic. He thought this was strange in this grand and beautiful church. Then he couldn't help but to notice in the middle of the sanctuary floor was what he describes as a mountain of garbage. And not just like hard trash, clean trash. We're talking about, imagine you take your kitchen garbage and you just toss it into the floor in the middle of the room. And so you can see it, yes, but he could say, yes, you could smell it. It was wet. It was awful smelling. 
And you couldn't help it. You had to actually avoid what he, his words, the garbage juices flowing across the floor. As you can imagine, he was shocked by this whole thing and a little bit confused and others were gathering and so they just kind of stood around this pile of trash and two men came out and began a worship service where they prayed together and they sang together and he tried his best to stay focused in the moment but uh, couldn't help but to wonder what is going on because nobody's talking about the pile of trash. Well, eventually as the service continues, the two men step down from the platform, and as they do, they take off their outer robes to reveal that they were only wearing a Speedo. It it, it was Australia. (laughs) But then they begin to walk into the pile of garbage, wading in to the point that it is up to their thighs, and as they wade into this trash, they are saying, it is now time to celebrate communion. And they're giving the words of invitation to come to the Lord's table to prepare your hearts. And eventually, one of them reaches into the pile of trash and pulls out a brown bag with a bottle of wine in it. The other reaches in and pulls out a loaf of bread that had been wrapped in plastic. And as they continue, they say, these elements represent the body and blood of Christ. This is the Christ who came not only to suffer and die for our sins, but this is the Christ who also not only came to defeat sin and death and the devil and to invite us, call us into a glorious relationship with the Father. Yes, we celebrate those things, but this is the Christ that we also celebrate who has done the most extraordinary miracle in all of history, the miracle of the incarnation. That our God, would take on flesh and dwell among us. And as these two men stand in the pile of garbage, they continue saying, if if you choose to eat this bread and drink this wine in remembrance of the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection, we invite you also to take off your shoes, to hike up your dresses or your pant legs and wade into the garbage with us. We invite you, though, to come hearing the words of your Lord and Savior who said to his followers, as the Father has sent me, so I am also sending you. Because if you choose to eat this day, this bread, and drink this wine, not only are we thanking Christ for his death on our behalf, not only are you thanking God for the forgiveness he has offered you, And not only are you thanking God for the hope of resurrection and the eternity, but you are also saying to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, send me as you have sent your Son. And they concluded, if you choose to eat this bread and drink this wine today, take off your shoes and wade into the garbage knowing that our God loves us so much that he was willing to take on flesh and wade into the mire and the muck and the brokenness and the pain of humanity. And then he defeated the power of sin and called us as his followers to do likewise. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. We are sent. Friends, we are not 
just called to gather together and to stay here, but we are sent into the pain and the darkness and the brokenness and the sin of this world to wade into it with them like little Christs, to bring hope that is greater than all of the mess, to offer healing that is greater than any brokenness, to proclaim forgiveness of sin no matter how egregious it may seem. We are sent. That's what these go and serve together groups are about. It's together to listen to the Holy Spirit that has been given to us, to listen individually, but then to listen as a group. To whom should we go? Who should we serve? What mess shall we wade into to offer the hope of Jesus Christ? And these groups are for everyone. They really are for any age. If you are able to be here, you can be in a a group. It's not all about construction projects because the hurt and the pain that are in this world is so varied. And so you can be a part of a group. I hope that you will consider it because you will pray together and you will discern together. You will use tools and practical exercises to figure out where should we go, when, how, who should we serve as we have been served. Because, friends, we are sent just as Jesus was sent for us, and we are sent to proclaim full life in Jesus Christ. Let us go and serve together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we are so aware of the hurt and the pain and the brokenness in our world. We are so grateful grateful that you are aware too, that you see way more than we even see, but you also didn't just stay aloof and outside of it, but that you sent your son to enter into it. What a miracle you would take on flesh to come and offer yourself, Jesus, as the sacrifice to pay our debt of bankruptcy, to restore hope, to redeem our sin, to ransom us from captivity, to offer mercy and grace, to transform and make all things new. Lord God, we acknowledge, even as we hear your calling, that we are sent. We acknowledge within us there is a struggle. (laughs) That there is a variety of feelings of being overwhelmed, of of being overcome, of feeling inadequate, and yet, Lord, we hear your calling. Give us a renewed sense of your Holy Spirit in us, that peace that comes from him, the love that comes from him, that we could hear clearly how you would lead us to go into our neighborhoods to serve and in serving to proclaim that full life that is in Jesus Christ.